This is the MG Car Club Podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this episode, we continue our hilarious chat with MG trophy racer Paul Lutty and talk lots about MGAs and Le Mans. The MG Car Club Podcast. Welcome then to another episode of the MG Car Club Podcast. Wayne Scott with you. Hope you're keeping well. And Adam in Kimber House is ready for episode 21. Hello, Adam. Hello, Wayne. How you doing, mate? I'm good. Very good, actually. A lot of people enjoying Paul Lutty's interview from last week. Of course, part two of that coming up in this week's episode. But also a message from Chris Flemington. He says, uh, Dear Adam and Wayne, thanks very much for a great 20th podcast. Paul was a really nice person to have with a great sense of humour and really looking forward to part two. Yeah, his sense of humour does come out in this interview, part two of it. Brace yourself. There is much hilarity, it has to be said. It's going to be very good. Uh, I've really enjoyed listening to all of the podcasts as I'm still not allowed out due to my health problems apart from a weekly trip of 12 miles to keep both of my cars running. Terry, my wife, doesn't like me to go too far in case something goes wrong, which is the opposite to Adam because Adam's wife doesn't like him staying at home too much in case something goes wrong. It's true, it's true. In fact, it's, it's so true that uh, she sent me on an eight-hour drive uh, just yesterday. So, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, he says his weekly run in his MG takes him across Chobham Common, which is only two miles from his house, uh, and that is, of course, where the MGA was launched. And MGAs are what uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about in this episode of the podcast. Uh, Chris says, I hope you can keep the podcast going, as I think it may be some time before I can get out on a longer trip. But hopefully it will happen in 2021. In the meantime, many thanks for all the work and friendship which the podcast and the MG Car Club provides for its members. I'm sure it's appreciated by many others as well as me. That's from Chris Flemington, who's been with us since episode one from the very beginning, Adam. Oh, no, that's a lovely email. And that's, you know, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? You know, we, we like to have a bit of fun and we, we try and um, keep it light. But, um, but yeah, no, that's lovely, Chris. Thanks for that. Well, of course, you can get in touch with us as well. Let us know what you think of the podcast and also let us know what you want to hear on the podcast. This is your podcast as an MG Car Club member. We're just here facilitating the conversation, Adam and I, to be honest. It's down to you, for you to tell us what you'd like to hear. If there's someone that you think we should be interviewing, let us know. Perhaps you have an interesting story yourself that you'd like to tell us about and the rest of the MG Car Club community across the world. We'd love to hear from you, and it's really easy to get in touch. All you have to do is go to mgpodcast.uk, click on the contact button there, and you can fill out the form, or indeed leave us a voice message using the little voice recorder on there as well. And Adam and I are always keen to hear from you, the podcast listener, on exactly what you'd like to hear from us on your MG Car Club podcast. On to new cars first of all, before we get involved with that MGA chat, because I know you've been digging about in the Kimber House archives once again and pulled out something really interesting for us to have a look at. Uh, there's a new, or should I say another new, MG5. Now, we did speak about the MG5 on this podcast just a few weeks ago that's the mg5 that's due in a matter of weeks actually to go on sale here in the uk but this is another mg5 what's going on i'm confused <laughs> <Yeah>. Help me. <laughs> well i think it's i think it's fair enough to be confused mate because it is it is getting slightly confusing the the use of that mg5 name 
So if we rewind back to 2013-2014, the first MG5 launched in China, which is why we have our MG635 register, because that register was created to cater for the MG6 initially, then the MG3, and then we were expecting to get the MG5, which is sort of Honda Civic, Volkswagen Golf-sized car. Now, we never got the original MG5 because, for whatever reason, um, it didn't didn't come to the UK. So we were expecting that car, didn't get it. Then, fast forward to um, 2015, 2016, MG in China launched a small saloon, which was called the MG GT. Now, when that car went to Thailand, which was the only right-hand drive market it was ever sold in, it became the MG5. So that's now two different MG5s, one a small hatchback, one a small saloon. You with me so far? Just about. (laughs) (laughs) So now we have our MG5 EV, which is coming to the UK, which is the all-electric estate car. In other markets, such as the Philippines, they have an MG5 saloon, which is essentially the Roe E5 rebadged and repackaged as an MG. Now in China, they have another car, which I would suggest looking at it is probably based on the same platform as that Roe E5, but it seems to have a new front end and a new back end, which seems to be based around the same sort of styling as on the new MG6, but it's called the MG5. So that means that there are three different cars, all with the same name, for sale in different markets. So we have an MG5, which is an electric estate. The Philippines and some other markets have an MG5, which is a 1.5 petrol saloon. And then China has another MG5, which is a 1.5 turbo, but a different 1.5 to their other MG5's 1.5. See, it's easy. It's not difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when is the degree starting at a local university on <laughs> understanding MGs? Yeah, it's um, it's not very clear. Um, the important thing to, to note from this new MG5 is that it does carry that sort of MG styling rather than the Roe styling that is more sort of prevalent on the other MG5. Um, and the other MG5 has the same 1.5 engine as you'd find in an MG3, whereas this new MG5 has the uh, General Motors 1.5 turbo that you'd find in the HS. So potentially quite decent performance. Um, I've heard rumours that there may well be a hybrid version coming as well. Now, as far as I'm aware, that car probably isn't coming to the UK, but if markets like Thailand, India and Australia were to take it, then we might get it. Now, I know that saloons haven't been that popular here in the UK for a little while, especially small saloons. But if you look at BMW 2 Series, they do a, a 2 Series saloon. Audi do a, an A3 saloon. So if MG could sort of chip away at that sort of fairly niche market with something that's a bit different and a lot more affordable maybe that might be another area of growth for MG. Mm. And I must actually mention, because I've just come back for a small holiday, just a tiny holiday, uh, three days up in Northumberland, a special hello to all of our friends in the northeast, 
because I noticed while I was up there in Northumberland, North Newcastle and around that area, a disproportionately high number of MGs on the road. That must be because they have quite a nice dense dealer network in that part of the country, but they were noticeably prevalent on the roads up there especially the mg3 which seemed to be the most popular so yeah another addition to the lineup hopefully to get more of those people that haven't found what they've wanted in the current lineup into that little bit of the market that they're probably missing out on at the moment yeah definitely i mean i think we've we've lacked um a clear replacement for the mg6 and i know it wasn't mg's bestseller um but it was certainly a car that i really liked um and had three really good years with my mg6 so i'd love something that sort of size if maybe not a little bit smaller to to replace that sort of car so yeah let's see what happens absolutely well uh, they continue to develop new models and we'll continue to let you know what's happening with the mg brand across the world as it continues into the 21st century and whilst it might not have a lot in common with some of the older mgs that we enjoy seeing at car shows here in the mg car clubs events they are of course all an important part of the mg story and another important part of the mg story adam you've dug out from the kimber house archives this week what have you found this time so i donned my white gloves mate and uh, headed down to the archive and uh, this week i've got the june the first issue from 1955 of the motor um specifically a le mans preview for the ex182 um which obviously went on to become mga absolutely and this was a big moment for mg because it marked really 1955 the return of the mg brand to race circuits after some two decades away so this was really a return of the brand to frontline competition again yeah very much so and it was something that a lot of people had wanted to see mg get involved in and um you know obviously as history shows they they chose to focus more on the um on the record-breaking side of things which was something that aggravated a fair few people in the club um particularly sort of vocal people like Ken Miles, who went on to become the subject of the uh, Le Mans 66 or Ford v Ferrari, as it's also known. The EX182 was a, was a real turning point for MG um, and marked sort of the moment when they finally sort of laid to rest those tremendous T-series cars um, that had been sort of a byword for MG in the, in the pre-war years and in the immediate post-war years and really moved on to something much more modern. Absolutely. And of course, the TD and TF series MGs were the production cars of the time in 1955. This was really a first look at what was at that point a prototype for what was coming down the line for MG. And of course, that first EX182 that raced at Le Mans in 55 used the engine and brakes from the MG Magnet. You know, we look at it now, and they've gone at the, the top of this article is a fantastic cutaway drawing of EX182, uh, ready for its trip to Le Mans in 1955. And we look at it now through sort of classic car eyes, through a historic prism, if you like. But back then, looking at this feature in this magazine, this must have been quite a futuristic looking car for MG at the time. Yeah, I mean, the, the A is such a sleek, modern-looking bit of kit. I mean, uh, later on in the magazine, there's a there's an advert um, that puts um, that offers either the, the TF or the uh, Triumph TR2. And if you look at the TR2 alongside the TF, 
the the TR looks so much more modern. Um, and obviously, you know, design language had changed. Production methods had, had come a long, long way uh, during the war years. And, you know, we'd learned so much about aerodynamics and airflow um, because of the war. Um, the, the, the MGA or EX-182 is, is a really fascinating sort of leap forward in design. Well, it was a year really that was going to end in tragedy and this was the preview to a campaign that was one of the most tragic in the history of motorsport and remains so to this day. Ironically, that year in 1955, there were record numbers in attendance at the Circuit de la Salle in Le Mans. Between quarter of a million and 300,000 people, we think, packed into the terraces, which you can still see along the pit straight at Le Mans to this day. And actually, at the end of the tribunes there, there still remains the plaque that commemorates the some 83 spectators that were killed in a really tragic accident. There were more people than normal there because, of course, some big manufacturers had thrown some really big budgets at the race in 1955. You had Jaguar throwing all of their effort at winning the race and regaining the crown that they'd won two years previously with the likes of Mike Hawthorne behind the wheel of their Jaguar D-types. Sterling Moss was there, Juan Manuel Fangio racing for Mercedes and of course Mercedes would famously never return to motorsport for uh, well for many many years after 1955. It had a terrible effect on their motorsport program and the way that they approached building cars. As a result of the massive disaster that happened in 1955 and basically if you don't know the story there's a very detailed uh, story behind it but essentially 83 spectators were killed along the pit straight when French driver Pierre uh, Levesque um, his car basically crashed into the crowd and the engine was sent through uh, the spectator areas and it injured over 180 people the exact number of people that were killed is actually still unknown but we think it was around 83 and as a result of that um lots of changes were brought into motorsport indeed motorsport was banned in switzerland and remains banned to this day but for a few special events like uh, the villars hill climb which is held every few years and it has repercussions even today into motorsport and that 1955 disaster is still remembered and still learned from in the sport so um yeah mg arrived at a time when le mans was in a difficult place actually after that race and of course the likes of triumph were there with their tr2s in 1955 they would never come back until the end of the decade no and if you, if you don't know the um the, the the disaster that well there's a really good um animated short on youtube um that won uh, a couple of awards for for animation uh, if you head over to youtube and just put in le mans 55 um it literally comes up as the second video down i think uh, it's like a nine ten minute uh, animated short that's really really powerful you know you don't expect animation to be that powerful but it's well worth watching Absolutely, and I think it's done from the Mercedes point of view, isn't it? Mm. Um, it will go on for decades more as to why the accident happened. You can't mention 1955 and any Le Mans campaign without just putting a nod, really, uh, to how that changed motorsport, what has been learnt since, and, of course, to the 83 that died in that terrible disaster. Of course, in 1960, though, 
MG returned with the MGA, as it was then, a production vehicle. So this year marks something of a Le Mans anniversary for MG because in 1960, 60 years ago this year, an MGA won and it was to be the last time that an MGA would race at Le Mans. And in 1960, it was the special coupéd body car that won its class, that class being the uh, 1600cc to 2-litre class, I think it was then. And um, the entry was a privateer entry, but with a couple of drivers, Ted Lund, English drivers and Colin Escott and they took that MGA to victory uh, in 1960 and a bit of a small anniversary for MGA owners then of course it was that beautiful coupe body Adam with the twin overhead cam engine in it which was a stunning looking car see I'm going to be really controversial now I think the coupe MGA looks a bit odd a bit odd yeah I'm not a fan of the Coupe MGA. I, th- I think the MGA is the prettiest car in the world. I don't think there's ever been a better looking MG. And if you've got another MG that isn't an MGA, I apologise. Speaking as someone who will never have enough money to be able to buy an MGA. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of the Coupe. See, I does love that it. Me, does that make me a really bad person? It does. What you have to do, though, is remember why they put that coupe on the MGA. It was all about trying to get the highest speed down Mulsanne Strait. And in that class, that sort of small production sports car engined class, it was all about maximising your speed down Mulsanne. And the only way you could do that was to start to reduce the amount of drag that the car generated. Because, of course, convertible cars generate a lot of drag, reduces your top speed. And you saw the AC Cobras do it with the Daytona Coupe that was all about getting higher top speeds um, you know a lot, lots of other cars in the end put roofs on their cars to get that speed out of them and also of course they were proving that innovation which was the overhead cam engine they had to prove it at that race of course it was very interesting because the overhead cam MGA was racing in the same race as the Works Triumph TRSs, which were there with the Sabrina twin cam engines as well. So this twin cam technology was starting to come to the fore amongst those British teams. And in that racing guys, they generated nearly 108 brake horsepower, which is quite respectable really for an under two litre class uh, car during that time. And again, Numbers had started to pick back up at Le Mans by 1960. Around 200,000 attended that year. It was also to be the last year that the D-types would be seen racing there. They were being raced by the privateer team, of course, the Curia Cosp. But little old Ted Lund and Colin Escott took their coupe-bodied MGA to a victory in the 1.6 to 2-litre class at Le Mans exactly 60 years ago this year and of course by the time the MGA ceased in production in 1962 it sold over a hundred thousand units which Adam did you know was a world record for sales of a sports car at that point in time you see it's it's educational and entertaining on the mg car club <laughs> podcast <laughs> i have to stop myself here and i know you have to stop me from getting too geeky and going off on a rant if you get me talking about le mans and that 24-hour race especially in the 50s and 60s i can go on for hours and hours i could make this a four-hour podcast and still not bore myself i'd bore everyone else but i wouldn't bore myself i love talking about le mans I know you do. It's a nightmare, mate. I have to disconnect the phone when I get home because sometimes you <laughs> ring me 
at two, three o'clock in the morning. Adam, did you know in 1957? <laughs> yes, Wayne, you've told me this. I mean, I, I admire your um, your your dedication to uh, to Le Mans, mate. It's um, it's admirable. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. If you get the chance, um, without sort of blowing my own trumpet, um, I wrote a feature for Safety Files a couple of months ago about Ken Miles because I was so inspired by that film that um, I wanted to learn more about him and he led a really amazing life. So, um, so yeah, do, do fish that out if, you've, uh, if you're a member. You can find it online as well. Brilliant. We'll have a look at that. Of course, uh, lots of other Safety Fast articles can be found in our Safety Fast archive at mgcc.co.uk. But uh, thank you, Adam, for indulging me there in some Le Mans chat. And I'm particularly geeky about stuff at the moment because, of course, what I usually do during the summer months and what my usual way of spending weekends is, is going up and down the country, as some of you might have seen at MG Live. Um, I presented the arena with Danny Hopkins the last time we were at Silverstone I do car shows and arenas where we have cars come into arenas and I get to tell everyone about the story behind various different cars some from as early as the 1920s Edwardian cars right the way through to 1980s 1990s classics unfortunately because of Covid I haven't been able to talk to anyone in an arena on a microphone about any kind of car so it's all bubbling up inside me Adam but mate you've been able to talk to all of us for the last 20 weeks thank goodness it's the only thing that's kept me and the people around me more importantly sane nearly sane nearly <laughs> sane. sane let's not let's not go too far <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely well of course motorsport has resumed thank goodness and for the latest fixtures from motorsport and the mg car club racing you can go to the website at mgcc.co.uk click on motorsport there and you can see what's happening in the motorsport world and that's a brilliant way to lead into our interview part two with paul lutty from the mg MG Trophy, and this is bloomin' hilarious. You're gonna like this. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centers and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go. .uk sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Well, now we pick up my conversation with MG Trophy racer Paul Lutty, just at the point where I asked him about his amazing trip representing MG in China for the launch of the MG6. I have to say, uh, that was Mr. Sloman's fault. <laughs> I, I, can, I can blame him uh, for that one and I tell you it was uh, it was incredible I, I that's a long flight that's definitely a long flight so uh, yeah we headed over it was for a few days to see the launch of this, this new MG6 we arrived there and as I say it's a, it's a long flight and we're met by uh, what I could basically say was a taxi um, which was great and uh, we headed off for another journey it was several hours but it was great being able to sit there and just look out the window and and watch this this huge country, um, there's so much building going on. It's unbelievable. I couldn't. I can go over the building. It was just insane. Cranes everywhere, uh, brand new flats everywhere with nobody in them. Or you maybe see one little family with the hang the washing hanging out the window or something, but everything else looked empty. Roads everywhere. Oh, it was just unbelievable. But the cars. I enjoyed looking at all the cars. Uh, lots of tiny little cars, electric cars. Yeah, it was an eye-opener, that. 
And then we, yeah, we basically went straight to the racing circuit and met up with a team that had been put together to to do this launch. Um, we had the expat from from Birmingham. He was there, one of the engineers. Uh, we had Rob Huff as well, uh, world touring car man. He was there to do a little bit. Um, and there was some some factory workers, if I remember correctly, from China. Uh, they'd come along as well. And basically we were a part of a, a show to, to launch a car, a live show in front of, I think it was mainly the dealerships, MG dealerships in China, and the staff, the managers, and maybe some of their good customers. So it was, it was like a, a like a pop concert almost, I suppose is the best way to describe it. <laughs> you mentioned Rob Huff there, from the, obviously from the touring car side of things, but there you were representing the MG Car Club Race Series, an MG Trophy man there at the major launch of one of the new MGs, the MG6. Must have been a proud moment for you. Oh yeah, I mean, what, what an honour. What an honour. I, I actually, uh, to repay... To repay the the, the 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 management over there, I actually took my kilt, um, and I thought it was a great idea until I put it on. And uh, I, yeah, I was. I've, I've, <laughs> I've never had so many pictures taken of me in my life. It was <laughs> a very strange moment for me. I think some of them wondered why there was a man wearing a skirt. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that was that was that was interesting. Uh, the 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 way they they treated us was incredible. We were winding down, um, which is actually a funny story. The the, the food in China um, is 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 not what I quite expected. I've been told it can be uh, completely different to the food that you would maybe go and buy in a Chinese restaurant in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course. Because we are being treated so well, they want to give us the real fancy stuff, you know, that, <laughs> that you wouldn't normally have. Uh, so I, I'm sitting at this table, and they've got these, the, the tables are quite well set out. So you don't, you don't even order anything. They just plonk lots of different food on this massive round table. And on top of the table is, a, is another round structure. It's just a piece of glass, and it's on a, on a bearing. There's a bearing in the center of it, so it spins. So it's like a spinning table. Hmm. So everything's on there. And if you want something, you just, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because you don't know when it's your turn to move the table. You, <laughs> the, you know, there's, there's people everywhere that are all well-dressed and you're scared in case they're about to put the hand out and you don't want to, you know, move the table and, and their hand goes in for the wrong thing, you know. <laughs> so you spin, you, you spin this glass table around and I, I had no idea what I was looking at. I, I, had to, I had to get help. The expat from Birmingham, he was... He was incredible. I I wouldn't know what I was eating otherwise. The only thing, genuinely, the only thing I could identify, and I have to say the stuff that, that I had was, was lovely. The only thing I could identify was the chicken feet. Was a, was, there was actually a bowl of chicken feet, and I thought it was decoration. I didn't realize they were eating this. I, I genuinely <laughs> didn't do it. And until I saw, you know, this very well-dressed man, um, you know, just diving straight in. You know, he couldn't get enough of them. Yes. He, he, the ball couldn't. The ball couldn't pass him without picking up <laughs> one of these chicken feet. He was straight in about it. So the expat said, "Paul, you eat that one. You like that one. Eat that one. Eat that one. Eat that one. Maybe stay clear of that one. Try that one. Try that one." Uh, but it was oh, it was fantastic. And oh, I have to say, another thing I did not expect. Now, as I say, this is a 
a very flash event after the the launch has happened and we're in this big hall. Um, the 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 karaoke kicked off. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, it's a very posh do. And there's the everybody said a bit too much to drink. You know, the rice wine's been on the go, and the karaoke kicks off, and they're all up. Having a, I nearly got it myself. I'm not gonna lie. It looked, it looked like a, it looked like a hit. Suited executives <laughs> from major car dealers were suddenly singing "I Will Survive." Were they? <laughs> I oh, I swear it was the funniest thing. I mean, the singing was dreadful. I'm not gonna lie. It was dreadful, but it was so funny I, I, I didn't know if I could laugh is that and so uh, they, you know they, it, was, it, was, it was incredible I, I, I loved it Adam and I were laughing at them it was, it was absolutely fantastic <laughs> I definitely want to go and see it again and a great moment for you obviously to apply your skills in racing to launching a car model so far away from home and just being part of an amazing moment in history really I guess an honour is what I would say, uh, a real honour. And it was it was great actually. The, the the following day after the launch, we were given the keys. When I say we, Adam and I were given the keys to one of the cars and just told to go and have a play. Um, and we we went back and forward along the circuit. Part of the circuit was closed off, so basically up to one end, turn around, coming back. And I, and I had a good play in this, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So the the chassis was very good on it. It sat very flat. Um, not much body rule on it at all. And lots of toys. Definitely lots of toys. And it, it didn't feel like your traditional MG inside. It was it was very modern. In fact, the the new the new MGs that you're seeing here in the UK, um, yeah, just like that. You know, it's very modern feel about them. Um an expensive feel actually. Mm. And yeah. indeed your MG three that you sit in whilst you're talking to us falls into that category. A, a model that's had incredible development and it's great to hear that someone who has such a sort of emotional connection to the older rovers and MGs and someone who has raced them and knows how those cars behave and knows about cars on a particular level, uh, like yourself, drives an MG three and, and, and you like that car, don't you? Yeah, do you know, uh, the, the first one I drove was a development car, and it was left-hand drive. It had done 140,000 miles, maybe 144, I think, maybe. Say 140,000 miles. There was holes in the carpet because of the heels of people's shoes. Um, it had a fire extinguisher in it, and I was handed the keys to have a shot. And we were at Alton Park at the time, and I just snuck into the truck, grabbed my helmet, and next day, <laughs> I took it onto the racing circuit. I did a, I did a couple of laps in it round round Alton Park, and uh, I gave it a kicking. I'm not gonna lie, I gave it a kicking, and you wouldn't believe it was not that far behind the at that time MG ZR 160s. Certainly, on the first lap, they couldn't keep up. Uh, second lap, their tires were starting to come in, so they were a bit harder to keep up with. But it was uh, I, yeah, I was actually gobsmacked how well it went. I mean, it's not the fastest thing in the world up the street. But, you know, it, it's taken a kick in. This particular one that I'm in, this one uh, has actually been around Knock Hill. And in the in the wet, it, nothing could keep up with it. Absolutely nothing. It was, I was actually, I was gobsmacked how good it was. Um, I had a friend out in his supercharged, upgraded Mini Cooper thing, and he was miles away, couldn't keep up. And he, he's, you know, he was quick in a car. So it shows you how good this wee thing is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, they, are, they are fantastic. They, they, they just keep going. I mean, they, uh, this one has had one fault, but that's it. 
I, I, I literally cannot fault it on anything else. And it's now done 40-odd thousand miles. In fact, no, it's nearly 50,000 miles. Um, and it's working spot on. Aircon's running the whole time. It's, it's brilliant. Works a treat. Well, that's a good thumbs up for the MG3 from Paul then. And as you look back over all those seasons that you've, as you say, enjoyed in the MG Trophy, what are some of the particular highlights when you look back down the years? I see, I've had so many fun races. It's all been hilarious. I mean, there's been, I've had some, the things that stick out most, I would say, are bad moments because I've had so many good ones that that's almost normal. Um, I mean, last year, I won the 170 class, the championship, but I have never really been that bothered with the points, championships, because, as I say, I just like doing it for fun. Uh, I've even, you know, I've given trophies away and whatever, and given the hats away. I'm not so bothered with that. Just as long as I have fun. um, Highlights, oh, wow. Um, Actually, I'll tell you one that was quite good. It was good and it was bad. I remember we had a, a we had a special guest joined us at Silverstone for a, for one race with Tom Ingram, mm-hmm. who's now racing in the BTCC. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember qualifying. I pipped him in qualifying by I believe it was one thousandth of a second. Just got him. <laughs> and then in the race, it was kind of Tom and I. We we, we seemed to be going pretty well, but. Uh, yeah, there was a bit, well, put it this way, at the end of the race, the two of us got called to the clerk of the course for driving. That was that was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. Because um, it was wet as well. We used to have some funny things. I mean, I had air jacks in my car. And I remember when it was, you know, it was one of those races where you think, is it, is it wet? Is it going to be dry? Is it wet? Is it going to dry? And everybody's waiting to the last minute to decide what tyres to put on. And I've already decided what I'm doing, but I'm going to leave it to the last minute because at that time, people kind of watched what I did. You know, well, we'll just put the same as Paul's putting on. Yeah. <laughs> and because I had air jacks, I could change the tyres, like, you know, in a flash. Whereas everybody else was having to jack the front of the car up, jack the back of the car up and do it. <laughs> and I would wait to the last minute. I remember doing it at Silverstone and, and it, uh, I said, right, we're, we're definitely doing this, but just wait till I give you the signal. Last call, you know, wait, wait till the marshals are basically about to get us on the track. And I gave them the signal and they got the car up, all the tyres, all the wheels on, dropped it down and everybody else, I think everybody else only managed to get the rears on. Because <laughs> of course, you only put, if you can only get wet on one end, you put it on the rear on a ZR. <laughs> yes. Uh, because obviously the back's going to be going all over the place. Uh, so funny things like that. I remember having a bit of an accident once just before the race. Uh, that was That was interesting. They were call- <laughs> I don't know, actually I don't know if I should tell you this, but uh, they were they, they were calling uh, you know last last call everybody to the assembly area blah blah blah, and uh, I'd had a curry the night before. I'd, uh, I, 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 maybe maybe this is maybe maybe you want to stop the tape for this one. Uh, but, uh, I had a curry the night before and I'd been feeling a wee bit funny and as I say it was again it was one of those races where people are just waiting and waiting because we don't want to you know what tires what tires. And anyway, I, I, I decided, right, I've got to get in the car. And uh, anyway, the curry caught me out and I got caught short. I got, I, it got me in the car and uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, there was an accident in the bucket seat. So at this point, I'm in sheer panic because there is no time to deal with this situation. So I just, <laughs> I had to, I, had, I genuinely had to quickly get out of the car and I, I I did one of those walks from the knees down. You know those those, <laughs> those walks you do? 
and I ran and it was starting to rain I remember it was raining and I ran to the toilet luckily we weren't that far away I got in the toilet and 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 oh god it was just it was a disaster you, you always think it's just a wee problem but it was a big problem <laughs> so after I pretty much demolished an entire toilet roll I'm now I'm running out of time. I mean, I'm 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 literally I can't even get my suit off because my I haven't got time to take my boots off or anything. I'm just it's, it, at this stage we're at damage limitation, and I, I decided, right, okay, I've run out of paper. What can I do here? Well, I can't. I, I can't there's nothing here. I've no money on me. I couldn't even use a five pound note. So I, I, I remember using the cardboard tube. I ended up scraping. Oh, honestly. I mean, it was horrendous. It was horrendous, and I had to get into the car. I had to get, I had to get straight back into the car, suit back on, and by this time it's cold. Oh, it was horrendous. <laughs> into the car, it was raining. I had, I, I'm not gonna lie, I've never been so desperate to get out. I think that's maybe why I won the race. So I, I got out of the car, and uh, we're in the park, Fermi, and I, I, I'm like, right, I, I need to go. I, I really need to go. There's been an accident. I need out of here. So yeah, this, this, you get some funny moments like that. Um, <laughs> Don't happen that often. The glamorous <laughs> life of a club racer when you're stood on ah, the podium at the end, and I, I suppose all gathered in the podium, ready for your champagne, and everyone's got saying things like, "Can can you smell that? Are they manuring the fields ah. today?" <laughs> ah, exactly, exactly. I thought, oh, no, when I get this car, everybody's going to know what's happened. Oh no. <laughs> Do let us know what the curry house was because we want to make sure that we never go there by the sounds of it. <laughs> I think it was a curry that my aunt had made. I could be wrong, but I, I remember <laughs> rightly, I think she made this curry and uh, it was good. Though. Whatever curry it was, it was good, but oof, the next day. Oh, dear. Ah, devastation. devastation amazing anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on a serious note, you talked about um, accidents there and... Um, they are a fact of motorsport, of course, as we all know. But um, obviously, during the day, you you are you are, you have a day job. You're working in a garage, and um, you know you have a, a small family there to look after as well. So, when you are trying your hardest, and of course you are having fun, is it something that ever runs through your mind that actually, you know, you've got to get to work on Monday and in one piece? <laughs> That's a good question uh, because I've not been to the circuit since the little one's been born so this is this is something I've yet to experience however uh, a little bit of that has actually happened despite not being to suck it yet so I I just recently bought back the Metro that I spoke about earlier the one my first ever race car I bought it back from Chris Hughes who'd been looking after it stroke racing it for the last 15 years and it's a cracking me thing, but I decided that I wasn't happy with the roll cage that was in it. And it was the same roll cage that I had raced with when I had it originally. So I, I just, because, yeah, I, I was I was looking at it thinking, oof, you know, we metros are not the strongest. If I, if I have a bang in that one, then oof, that could be bad. So, I, yeah, I have actually forked out and, and had a, a cage purpose made, welded into it. And I literally just got it back from the paint shop about a week or so ago and just put it back together again. So, yeah, there's, there's the first example, I guess, that I'm now looking at things differently. Stronger cage. Um, I, I, I hope it doesn't affect me too much. Uh, I don't, I, I've never worried about making it to work. You know, having an accident getting to work, I'd love to be off work. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> 
I, th- I think the, the, for me the, the main thing I worry about is driving home because it's so far uh, that, that you know and uh, getting going to work the next day you don't want to be working in someone's car if you're absolutely exhausted you know and forget to tighten wheel nuts or something stupid like that because obviously that's never a good thing when you're working with customers cars so I always try, yeah, try to get home and make sure I can get to sleep, have a good sleep. Um, I mean, because the, the, the drive for us, that's, that is a major problem. I mean, for to get to Snetterton and Bransatch, that's the two really bad ones for us. Uh, Bransatch, obvious congestion problems you get down there. Luckily, we're always going the opposite way to the traffic. So we're heading down to England while England is heading up north, you know, and vice versa. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it can take us... I think the best from brands is ten and a half hours. That's a record to get home. Whereas the worst, you can be fourteen hours. It's uh, it's and and it's just uh, it's just a killer. It, it's it's quite funny because I'm, uh, I've raced. I've, I'm lucky. I've, I've I've done a race in Canada, and I can get there quicker. You know, I've done uh, I've done a couple of races in in South Africa and in, in Cape Town, and. I can, you know, it's uh, it's literally a fourteen-hour flight to there. You know, it's, it's almost <laughs> it's almost not ridiculous to just go. Why don't we just go there instead? You know. Yeah, yeah. It takes that long to get there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the, the traveling is is a bit of a pain. Well, when will we see you out on the track again? Once the roll cage is finished, no doubt. Ah, uh, well, I've kind of written this year off. Uh, I I've decided that due to the obvious problems we're all experiencing. Um, I'm, I've got a bit of a fear at the moment until there's some form of vaccine because of my, my artificial heart valve and warfarin whatever I was told to be a bit careful so I, I, I'm a bit worried we even you know we've had track days organised up here that we organised through the garage and I cancelled them all because I don't even want to go with those people I'm yeah. staying away from as many people as I can I, I don't like going in supermarkets so I stay away from uh, you know um like the, the pubs and stuff like that. I'm not, I wouldn't go into any of these places. I'm terrified. Uh, so even racing circuits, you know, I mean, it's fine. You can dodge people, but at some point you're going to have to pop the loo, aren't you? And I don't want to touch anything. I do, you know, I'm just... Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, I'm a bit worried. So, so I think, I think it will be next year before I appear out again um, and then see where we're going to go. Maybe uh, try and get out the NG Car Club. Uh, race meeting at some point that'd be good fun the car doesn't meet the regs for the championships that are there but there are a couple of championships there that you can join as a guest for a couple of rounds so that's definitely something I would like to do because mm-hmm. the, the the MG car club meetings um, they're well organised and it's, it's actually a very good bunch of people um, I mean you don't have to bring in her long because everybody else has got spares you know yeah. and they're always very helpful you can borrow engines and gearboxes and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, yeah, the atmosphere is very good at those events. Um, so I'd, I'd I'd like to go back and uh, and see them because almost it's like a family. Yeah, we'll look yeah. forward to seeing you, you out on track as part of the MG Car Club family once again very soon. Uh, but for now, thanks so much for joining us on the MG Car Club podcast and sharing those uh, very funny stories, Paul. Thanks very much for being with us. <laughs> no problem. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. The MG Car Club podcast. Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk.
Well, many thanks to Paul Lutty for joining us there on the MG Car Club podcast to tell us his <laughs> mad stories about racing. And I'm very pleased I didn't get the job of cleaning his overalls after that, Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me, me too, mate. Me too. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and it's great to hear how he approaches racing with such a great sense of humour. And, uh, you know, you get the sense of the banter that fills the paddock when those guys get racing. So, uh, yeah, brilliant. A great insight into motorsport within the MG Car Club. And you must have had a nice time with him out in China as well. Yeah, we had a brilliant time. I mean, it's it's always tricky when... Because before I went to China with Paul, I didn't really know him all that well. Um, and we had a request from China for, for a racing driver to come with us. Um, so I approached Paul, um, knowing that he's, you know, he's, he's good at uh, talking about what he does. So, yeah, we got sort of thrown together in economy, which is always a test for any sort of new friendship. Um, 15 hours on a plane. Um, and Paul was an absolute legend. Um, it was freezing cold in, in, um, in Nanjing in November. Um, but Paul did everything brilliantly. And we went to a banquet on the last night we were there. And Paul floored everyone when he turned up in full traditional scottish dress kilt the works everyone with their photos with him he was an absolute star and just the perfect ambassador for the car club brilliant well that comes through on his interview there and of course uh, you can keep up to date with everything that's happening as we say on the motorsport pages at mgcc.co.uk and hopefully we'll be learning more about some of the other drivers up and down the grid in some of the other races and championships as well uh, to find out uh, well who's behind the helmets within the mg car club race championships and uh, also we found out a little bit more about who's in which garage doing what on the mg car club facebook page over last weekend and uh, it all started with uh, a bit of a rundown on what members were up to and the highlights and hits really for me uh, was a shout out to Chris Weatherall uh, who was stripping down and prepping his MGA uh, we had a racing MGF from David Coulthard up on the on a two post lift uh, getting ready for some more racing and uh, we even had Terry Carmalt from Brisbane in Australia who was looking for a Rivergate conversion kit for fitting a five-speed Datsun gearbox to his MG Magnet. Oh, Crazy blimey. stuff going on out there. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, he, there's, a, there's an MG van. This was the Express 160, of course, uh, of Mark Presti. He was working on that last weekend. And uh, Peter McDonald with his uh, Z, uh, looking forward to Mallory Park. And also, we had a lovely factory one-off coloured TF. Now, they don't tell me which colour this car is, but it's like a really nice kind of metallic grey-blue, it looks like. Okay. Very nice. And nice. he was looking after that car and getting it ready for its MOT. And also, fitting a new Speedo cable to his Shorrock supercharged MGB. Nice. Blimey. Yeah, that's John Pruer on the Facebook page. Stephen Wright had the front end off his MGF doing some very serious looking work there. Uh, someone posted a picture of a Morgan. Oh, That's all okay. we need to say about do. that. Yeah. <laughs> There's always one. There's always one. <clears throat> uh, painting the arches on Morris from Melissa Farrow, our friend Melissa. Paul Thompson was, you've got to see this picture actually, it's blooming marvellous. Paul is has posted a picture of what looks like his MG Metro 
pulling what can only be described as a yacht on a trailer <laughs> up a um, a slip road somewhere. So, um, I mean, the MG looks like it's a bit dropped off this yacht. I don't know whether that's a faked picture or whether that actually happened, but fair play if that little MG Metro actually pulled that whacking great yacht. And where from Monte Carlo <laughs> did you steal it? Uh, also to Kieran Reed, uh, who's been polishing his wire wheels on his MGB. Wow, that's a job I don't envy him at all. And also, that is hard work. It is hard work. Apology, uh, polishing his TF, ready for a big event next week. Very good. Uh, the MG Car Club Yorkshire Centre are in touch. Uh, Daisy was out of the garage and back running. That's Daisy the MGB. Paul Chandler put a picture of a shell of his 6R4 restoration on our Facebook page. Oh. Mm. And Gavin Dukes, looking like he's building some kind of Sebring-esque MGB racer, looking rather sexy. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, by the way, that's all up on our Facebook page, MG Car Club on Facebook. You can get involved there as well by liking the page and just posting stuff basically it's as easy as that we'd love to hear from you on there as well and as i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast i was away on holiday adam and there was some mg sightings going on on my holiday there i was traveling up the a1 saturday morning on my way there and what did i pass but a sexy little mg midget with a lovely couple in with their little dog on the parcel shelf behind them <laughs> trundling up the a1 about scotch corner i think it was they were doing about a steady 55 mile an hour and then nice. a couple of days later monday lunchtime there i am lindisfarne holy isle and what should turn up across the causeway but the same mg midget i'd passed on the a1 on the way oh up. brilliant they were having a whale of a time uh, i gave the the lady in the passenger seat a little wave and she smiled back they looked like they were having fun despite the weather so uh, whoever you were in that lovely little red mg midget i think it was a f reg uh, h-a-m were the first three letters of nice. the number plate uh, well done and i hope you had a lovely holiday in your midget it's amazing how far you can get in a little midget and adam they're brilliant little cars i have got such an itch for a midget at the moment um but um yeah given the fact that my mgb is uh, exactly where it was two weeks ago um perhaps i shouldn't be taking on any more cars at the moment however adam to round off let's have a look at the mg car club shop and what lovely stuff have we got in there to buy I am going to pick out one recommendation. I think I'm needing to buy one because not only... I mean, it was only a few episodes ago we were sat here talking on the MG Car Club podcast about the heat wave that we were in. Now, some kind of storm's turned up and I can barely hear myself think over the wind noise battering against the window of my office here. But never mind. What I would need, I think, to keep myself warm now that the weather has turned is the MG Navy Body Warmer which you can get on the MG Car Club shop. I think these are in posh circles are called gilets. Is that right? Yeah, when I was a kid, it was a body warmer. Yeah. Um, but today it's a, it's a gilet. And with the autumn starting to appear, they're perfect if you don't want to go full coat, especially if you're driving. I don't know about you, mate, but I can't drive wearing a coat. Um, so, yeah, a, a gilet 
um, will uh, will keep the chestal area warm without uh, impeding your arms. Get your gillets now. Uh, it's, wind- <laughs> it's windproof and water repellent. It's got a classic MG embroidered logo on the old famous octagon on the front of it there, and very good quality indeed. Well, if you're planning a trip away like I had, or indeed our friendly couple in their MG Midget up in Northumberland last weekend, uh, the thing that you could do with, and the thing that I forgot, to be quite honest with you, is a bag to put stuff in so you can carry it around with you. And we actually have MG rucksacks in the shop at the moment. You can find these at mgcc.co.uk. Click on the shop and put in rucksack. Simple as that. They're 25 quid. They're handy. They come in two colours, a red one and a grey one. And it's got the MG Octagon logo slap bang in the middle of the back of the rucksack. And it's just one of those handy sizes, Adam, where, you know, it's not like massive backpack that sort of weighs you down. It's just like one of those handy bags you can stuff a couple of bits in, maybe like a waterproof coat, your iPad. Yeah, you can stuff it in the boot of an MGB or, or an MGA coupe if you've got one. Um, yeah, they're, they're handy. Then, you know, they're, they're not that much money, good quality does what it says on the tin job done fantastic and if you are out in your midget and you want to drop your soft top roof down and it's a little bit blowy like it is while we're talking to you on this podcast you can even get an mg car club pashmina you can they're all there and they've got the uh i've got like a leather mg car club tag on them all very classy and very nice i like a pashmina on a lady very classy 20 quid and also new stuff on the way that Adam isn't on the shop yet, but he's coming soon. But they've given us the exclusive to tell everyone about it before we tell everyone else. Remember those iconic MG press adverts from back in the day? Your mother um, won't like it and all that stuff. Yeah, that sort of stuff. The, the, classic, the classic lines. Um, we have got um, a rather cool way of reproducing those ads. Um, so they are coming soon on the shop. Now I won't say much more than that, just to uh, just to tease you all. But do keep checking the web shop for for new products because Inik is working away like a demon, adding stuff left, right, and centre. Um, and you know I've seen um, some of the the pre samples of these new ads that are coming in, and they're really cool. And I think people will really like them. So uh, yeah, do keep checking the uh, the shop website. Can I put in a personal request for one? You certainly can. Just uh, send this to the uh, the powers that be. I'd, if I'm going to buy one, Adam, I want this particular advert because it's one of my favourite MG adverts that they ever did. And it's from the early 1970s rubber bumper MG midget advert. And it shows a couple flying down the road in their MG midget. Rubber bumper job. Looks lovely. And the caption underneath says... Someday you'll settle down with a nice, sensible girl, a nice, sensible house, and a nice, sensible family saloon. Someday. I love it. I want that advert I know the one. printed on I know the one. So that's my personal request, please. I want that one on my wall. That'd be marvellous. Thank you very much. <laughs> and also, at this point in time, late summer you're out at an event of course and you never quite know what the weather's going to do especially if you're in a soft top car especially if you're in an mga for example where let's say it's not particularly a five second job to get your hood back up on the car if it starts raining uh not easy to put the roof up and sometimes the best thing to do if you get caught out of traffic lights is just to pop an umbrella up and apparently inica's found an umbrella that will do the job 
Yes. So this is an umbrella for two. So, uh, you know, next time you and I find ourselves uh, snuggled up in an MGA, uh, if the weather does turn slightly inclement, this uh, this brolly for two will um, will cover two people sat, you know, cosily in an MGA. So it, it does like like all our products. Um, it's very obvious what it does. Um, it's a brolly for two. What more could you need? Fantastic. All available now via the MG Car Club shop easily found at mgcc.co.uk click the shop and just search for the products there very easy to find or of course we always list them in the newsletter that comes through from the mg car club and just a final thought on adverts quick quiz for you adam which was the mg advert which was the car that mg were advertising when they said it was faster than a ferrari a porsche a lamborghini a lotus an aston which car adam please I believe that would be the mighty Maestro Turbo. Yes, indeed it was. And there, ladies and gentlemen, is why we are the MG Geeks. <laughs> and we will see you on the next MG Car Club podcast. From me, Wayne Scott, see ya. See you soon, guys. Cheers. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk. Podcast.uk.